Well, I've mentioned a time or two before uh, from up here that um, uh, math was really not my best subject in high school. Um, I'm really not a big fan of it. Uh, numbers and I, we, we, we don't get along, and, and when we do, it's because there's numbers on a time signature on a, on a music staff. And, and uh, don't ask me how, but I have not been in a math class since I was 16 years old and a sophomore in high school. I was able to get out of math completely in my undergraduate uh, because I realized that there was a philosophy class that fit the category of mathematics. Don't ask me how. It was called logic and critical thinking. I thought, this is perfect for me because this is exactly what I'm using to get out of math. And so um, uh, I was never particularly good at math. Or perhaps it was because I was willfully ignorant, but I could not see how math would ever fit into my future or fit into anything in the real world. Guess what? Then I grew up and I went into the real world. And I started realizing, boy, math is really everywhere and it's hard. You know, I had to learn how to balance a budget for the department that I was over when I was a teacher. I had to learn how to start figuring out what the mileage on my car was getting. I had to uh, learn how to measure things and not only just measure things, but sometimes you need to add and subtract fractions in that and divide things and, and, and that's hard. When I started my coffee business last year, I had to relearn proportions. Like if you put 65% of beans uh, in this and 25% and of, of these beans in that and 10% and, and of beans uh, that would fill up to 100%, you need to know how much do you put in when you have 16 ounces or if you really want to get more specific, it, uh, you can go into grams. But, uh, um, you know, this, is, this sounds silly, but different volunteer things and jobs have had me required to know how much exact change to give to people when they, you know, give money for certain things. And, and sometimes that, uh, that's hard. But it was, it was those kinds of skills that I just lacked simply because I was too lazy to see that math involved everything and every aspect of life. And it hurt me even to this day. You know, some of us are living spiritually the same way that I did mathematically. When uh, maybe we've come to grips with our sin and our lack of ability to do anything uh, about, uh, about it, we recognize that uh, um, God has this right to uh, see our sin and rightfully send us to hell because of it. And we may have looked at Christ Jesus' life and death and resurrection and his ascension and trusted in his, per his person and work uh, to be sufficient in God's sight as our substitute. We may rejoice in knowing that Christ's sinless life is attributed uh, to us through faith, that the death that he died was in the punishment that we deserved for our sin, and we got it through faith. His resurrection was not only the proof, um, but the down payment of our future resurrection by faith. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's not about what we've done or what we failed to do. It's all about what Christ has done for us. 
And so though we recognize and are thankful that we have been saved from sin and are bound to future glory, we often fail to recognize how this good news affects and applies to every situation in our daily lives. We don't often see the grace of God and how it affects our relationships, what it does for our employment situations, uh, or our parenting, or our marriages. We, we generally don't look to the gospel when we're cleaning the house, or driving to work, or waiting in the checkout line, uh, or exercising, or whatever it is. These are the normal, everyday things of life that add up and create stress and conflict and turmoil both internally and externally. Just as 25 years ago, uh, when I made the declaration that math doesn't really apply to anything, um, and it has caused problems for me today, so many of us feel the frustrations of life uh, or are spiritually ill because we have not been able to see or, or we have uh, uh, failed to desire to see the good news of Jesus' person and work applying not just to the future and to our past, but to our situation right now with whatever we are, are facing. So today we are continuing our series on spiritually remodeling our church. We have previously looked at the theological foundations of our church. We've looked at the six big purposes of our church and what we are about, and we're rounding out this series now as we uh, look at how, as individual members of the church, make the church better by living out what Paul told us to back in the beginning of chapter 4, which was to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And we do that by applying the gospel to the minute details of our lives. So today we're going to hit on an area that, that does affect us all, whether we have children or not. Uh, we, we, we're going to look at uh, both parenting, and we are going to also look at being children of someone. And so today, again, let me just read uh, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to uh, get into this idea here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the first thing we need to see here is that children, obey and honor your parents. Children, obey and honor your parents. Now, I'm going to do something that I've never done here. I'm going to come down here, and I'm going to address the kids in here. I see a few kids in here is, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we do have some good kids here. So kids, teens, adults, these verses are for all of us. Um, he essentially addresses two different uh, classes of children. The first who are, are those who are still at home. Uh, so this is toddlers. This is preschoolers. This is uh, school age. This is junior highers. This is high schoolers. This is still college kids if they are living at home. He says, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Another way to say this is, kids, listen to your parents. Now, I want to ask, 
the kids here. So adults, this is close for a second here. Kids, why do you think Jesus might want us to listen to our parents? Any kids want to answer that? Ben. So we don't sin? That's a great answer. So our parents can teach us the ways of God? Good. Anybody else? Those are such good answers. Oh, Lydia, I'm sorry. You got to raise that hand high, girl. Yeah. Because he knows that our parents know what's best for us. Yes. These are all such good answers. Good job. You know what? You all are very smart. If you were in my classroom, you all would get an A+. Plus. To those, to those quiet ones, I'm not so sure. I'd have to have a written test. But you all are doing fantastic. God wants you to listen. God wants you to obey uh, your parents for many reasons. The most important is, is that they love you, and they, uh, they want you to be safe. They want you to be a respectful person. They want you to be an, a responsible person. How many of you have parents that are older than you? Huh? Okay, we got one. Sophie, great. That's perfect. Okay, and Jude, good, good. Yes, that is a design for uh, a reason. They've been kids before. They know what it's like. They've skinned their knees. Maybe they failed a test or two. Uh, maybe they worked really hard at something that they can provide a good example uh, for. They've made mistakes, they've, and they've learned from them. And because they they love you and care for you, they don't want you to make the same mistakes that they made as kids uh, as well. And the older, uh, they're older than you and have learned a thing or two. Kids, your parents know how to do cool stuff. They've done certain things. They know how to keep you safe. It's good to listen to your parents because, they, uh, because the things that they're teaching you are training you for life. That as you get older, the things that they teach you, you're going to need to know. One day, I know this is really hard to think about, but one day you are going to be an adult. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen way quicker than you actually think it will. Uh, one day you're going to have a job. Maybe you will have a, a, a family. Um, and the things that you're learning from your parents are going to be really, really important at that particular time. Uh, you need to know how to listen and how to obey your parents because one day you're going to have a job in which your boss is going to ask you to do things. And you're, tra you're being trained right now to learn to listen and do what you're supposed to do because if you don't, it's going to cause you problems when you enter into the workforce. You, uh, you might have a wife or you might have a husband one day. And learning these things that you are learning today will help you to be able to have a more happy and healthy marriage as you, uh, as you grow together. And if your parents brought you here to church, that's really good because that means that they love you so much that they want you to know Jesus and they want you to grow in Jesus and to become more and more like him. Uh, and so one of the reasons that it's important to listen to your parents and obey your parents is because there is going to be a day in which Christ is going to call you and say, I want you to believe in me. And so when you have been trained to listen and honor and obey your parents, it's going to be a whole lot easier to listen and obey Jesus when that day comes and when he calls. Jesus is way more wise than your parents. And if you trust in him, 
and listen and obey him, your lives are going to go so much better. And so children, you have to obey your parents in the Lord. But second, and I'm going to come back up here. Oh, that step gets higher the older I get. Um, he addresses all of us who have living parents. Paul takes us all the way back to the, to the fifth commandment in Exodus chapter 20. And he says, honor your, your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it might go well with you. Uh, that you may live long in the land. And so the reason that there is a distinction here between verses 1 and 2 is because there's a difference in relationship that Paul is, is addressing here. Um, those that are younger and still living at home are under the authority of, uh, of their, their, their parents, of their, their mom or their dad or, or both of them together. Uh, those who have grown up and are out of the house and have jobs and are maybe married um, certainly should listen to the counsel of their parents, but uh, are not bound in obedience as the younger ones, uh, younger ones are. And where they are bound to is, is an honor. And the word honor has this fairly large scope. Uh, to honor your parents means to respect them. It means to, to value them. It's to speak well of, of them, even if they weren't the greatest parents. Uh, growing up, I completely understand that some of us did not grow up with good parents. Um, honoring does not mean that you don't set up necessarily necessary boundaries, and it does not mean that you don't protect yourself if there's uh, certain toxicities there, but it does mean them that as a representative of Christ, that you love them and you honor them. They brought you into the world. They, they can't take you out. That would be illegal. But they, uh, they are your parents, and they are owed honor. On the other hand, the word honor also means taking care of. And that word uh, 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 implies uh, providing assistance physically, monetarily, uh, emotionally. Uh, it doesn't mean that you need to be the primary caregiver of aging parents, but it, does, but it does mean that you show honor to them by making sure that care is provided. Um, if you live near your parents, especially if they're, if they're elderly and aging, they shouldn't have to take public transportation to get to their doctor's appointments. You should be caring for them in that sort of way. If you're retired and have parents such as this, there's no reason why you shouldn't honor them and uh, provide rides and keep them company and make sure that they're their needs are, are, are met. So honoring your father and mother means respecting them, valuing them, caring for them. Why? Paul goes on to say it's because there's a promise involved here. It says that it might go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So we can certainly misunderstand what Paul's saying here. We can misunderstand it in a couple different very polarizing ways. We can over-spiritualize this by applying it just to salvation. Or we can literalize it by saying, well, this means that I'm going to live long for sure if I honor and uh, have obeyed my, my parents. But I don't think any of those are, is what Paul is saying here. Paul is, is using this more of as a, a proverb than anything else. And a proverb is not a promise. A proverb is more of a principle of how life works in general. If you're one that takes seriously honoring your parents and, and loving them in, in certain ways, especially in childhood, obey, obeying them, generally speaking, 
your life will go much better than if you didn't. If you were the kind of kid that disregarded uh, your parents' wisdom and refused to honor them, generally speaking, life is going to be a bit tougher. You'll struggle with authority. You'll struggle in your employment. Your marriage will probably be difficult. You shouldn't expect to have well-adjusted children. Why? Because if you despised the authority that was in your life in those formative years instead obeyed your own authority, how in the world are you going to function in a society that will always exist in some sort of authoritative hierarchy? In other words, it will not go well with you. Moving on then to the second clause here, the same principle applies. The quote says, not literally that you will be guaranteed a longer lifespan. How many of us have known some amazing people that love their parents, love the Lord, but man, they left us way earlier than they should have? And how many of us have known people who are aged but yet are still rebellious and menacing and wicked. They've outlived most of the population. What gives? Well, honestly, I don't know. When I prep for a sermon, I, I read a ton of literature from both scholars and commentators, and this is one example of where there is hardly any agreement on the issue. Um, some say it's referring to eternal life, um, some say that um, uh, those who do that will end up becoming Christians. Some have said uh, that this means that you'll have a, a better quality of life here on, uh, on earth. To make matters more uh, complicated, you can see the, uh, the chart that I put back there uh, that Paul actually leaves out a really important clause from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. You'll notice that in Ephesians, he says that it might go well with you in the land. And then in Exodus, it says that uh, the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Well, why didn't Paul put that in there? And I think the answer to that is that he's writing to a primarily Gentile audience, and, uh, but living long in the land um, is, is sort of ambiguous here. So I don't feel confident enough to say to you, this is what I think it is. I don't know. But one thing I can be confident about, and you should be too, that both Ephesians 6, 2 and Exodus uh, 20, verse 12 is the, the infallible, in, in, uh, inerrant, and inspired word of God. That this is God's word to us so that we can know God, so that we can be redeemed by God, so that we can uh, live to his glory. So this is one case that I think that we have to sit back and just say, I don't exactly know what, what, what this means for my, for my future, but I, I do know that God gave me a clear command to honor and, and, uh, uh, and respect my mother and father, and that there's some kind of reward or some kind of promise that, that goes with that. So out of reverence for God, I'm going to do this and just leave it up to him. And so Paul's words here, are applicable not just to uh, the, the littles that are, that are still at home. Uh, it's addressed to all of us. Because here's the reality. None of us honor our parents as well as we ought to. 
Every single one of us is guilty of not honoring our parents in the way that God commanded us to. But here's the thing. Jesus did. Jesus perfectly honored and obeyed his parents. He, he honored Mary and Joseph perfectly in his life. And he certainly honored and obeyed his heavenly father uh, to the point of death. So any deficiencies that we have in our own obedience and, and honor are forgiven and made up for in our union with Jesus Christ. And that's good news. Because of that, we don't need to, we don't need to beat ourselves up for, for our failures and for the things that we have, have not done or done the things that we should not have done. But we can freely and joyfully uh, love and honor our parents now because Christ's Spirit is indwelt in us and is empowering us to live as we ought to for God's glory. So, children, obey and honor your parents in the Lord. And second, this is our second point, it's our last point, and that's parents, raise your kids to know Jesus. Parents, raise your kids to know Jesus. Look with me in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, the first major question that needs to be answered here is, who is Paul addressing in this particular passage? The text says fathers. Perfectly clear. The Greek, very clear. My point says parents. So who is Paul addressing here? Is it just the father, or is it the father and the mother? And I think the easy answer is both. I think he's addressing both here. If he had only been addressing both parents— there's a specific Greek that he, a Greek word that he could have used. It's the word ganais, and you will be quizzed on that at the end of the sermon today. But it's a very specific term, meaning parents. It's used 20 times throughout the New Testament. Paul uses it six times throughout his letters, and he even used it in verse 1 of this chapter when he says, children, obey your parents in, uh, in the Lord. Uh, but, that, there, but he doesn't use it here in this verse, and I think that there's a good reason for that, and I hope this isn't too confusing. Remember here that he is addressing uh, the hierarchy of the family. Back in chapter 5, uh, he wrote that wives are to be submissive to their husbands as to the Lord. Husbands are to love their, their wives as Christ loves the church. In chapter 6, verse 1, children are to obey and, and honor their parents. And so Paul keeps stretching out the vision that he has uh, for Christian homes to be ordered. And just because there's a hierarchy does not mean that one is more valuable in the sight of God than other. Uh, than the other. We talked about this last week fairly well in depth, that uh, every single one of us, uh, male, female, child, adult, elderly, it doesn't matter. We're all, uh, we're all the same to God in, uh, in value and worth and dignity and honor. It's just that God has made a structure by which the world uh, is created. And because he's dealing with the hierarchy and order here, he addresses father specifically because us dads bear the full responsibility of the commands that will follow. That's why he doesn't use uh, ganais. The father bears the responsibility, but 
he shouldn't have to shoulder all of the work. Fathers and mothers are our co-workers in training and teaching and, and discipling and disciplining the children in the Lord. This is a, a team effort. They have unique strengths and they have unique weaknesses that they bring to the table. And just as woman completes the man, the man completes the woman, so father and so mother complete each other in their, their duties. So when Paul addresses fathers here in verse 4, he is both displaying who holds the ultimate responsibility here in ensuring that these commandments get done, but he is also using the term to include both mother and father, just as he does throughout his letters when he says, brothers. The word there means brothers and sisters, but it encompasses all when it says brothers. So now, what is, Paul's, what is it that Paul commands parents to do, and fathers in particular, to be responsible for? He starts with a negative, something to avoid, something, and, and then he ends with a positive. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And so what is, he, uh, what is he saying for us to do in our parenting? He is prohibiting a form of parenting that is harsh. He is prohibiting parenting that is unruly and abusive and irrational and, uh, and immature. It is to engage in behaviors and attitudes that give your children a right to be bitter against you, to certainly not see Christ in you, to have the right to be angry at you or potentially hateful toward you. This doesn't mean that you don't make decisions and and lay down boundaries and set rules and guidelines to protect your children. Such things are necessary. And sometimes boundaries and expectations, however reasonable they may be, um, uh, spoiler alert here for any parents, like, they're not always going to like your rules. It, it, but that's okay. If they're good rules, it's okay. They are reasonable. They understand it. They, they thrive with, with rules and boundaries. But don't mistake reasonable rules for being an irresponsible monster. There's a difference. How do you react when your kid sins? Do you yell and scream? Do you try to make them fear you? Do you talk down to them? Are you condescending? Are you abusive verbally or physically, emotionally, or, or maybe even sexually? Do you set punishments down that are way harsher than the infraction? If you could have a video of how you react and treat your kids um, and you reviewed that video as a third person, would you be proud of how you handled that situation? Now let's put away sin for a second. When they just make simple, childish mistakes, what is your reaction? So is there damage that needs to be repaired? Do you need to go to your children and repent and ask for forgiveness? Friends, let me tell you that one of the most powerful things that you can do for your children is to, is to help them understand that you are a sinner and that you make mistakes. And going to them and apologizing and repenting is, is a powerful witness to them. So Paul gives a negative there. Don't provoke your children. But he moves on to the positive. He says, parents are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The, the word discipline here, don't misunderstand that. It's not pointing to corrective uh, behavior here. 
It's not uh, talking about spanking. It's not talking about timeouts. It's not talking about those things. Rather, this is a training as if for an athletic event. Um, you think about a marathon runner. Uh, have any of you ever run marathon before? I know Dave has. Anybody else? Okay. So you need to train. For, I wouldn't know, obviously. But you need to train for a marathon, right? Did I see one over here? You did? Congratulations. That's awesome. Good work. All right. Man, I'm envious of you too. That's awesome. Um, you can't just uh, one day say, hey, guess what? I'm going to sign up for Grandma's Marathon and go run it. Good luck. You might make it a mile or two. These people have trained for months and maybe even years to be able to do a marathon like that. Think about a professional basketball player. They just don't get drafted out of college and get thrown on the court and say, well, it's my time to go out there. I'm just going to see what I've got. I mean, these guys have been playing since they were like kindergartners. They've given their whole lives to, to, to work out their craft. And so when you when you, well, I mean, the professional guys are more lazy than the college guys. So let's look at the college. Like, they're working hard. They're showing how much work that they have, have put into it. And, and friends, our, our children we have for 18 years. We're training them for life. How are we doing on that? Children need to learn spiritual disciplines to fit the battles that they're going to go into. They need to be taught how to pray, how to read the scriptures, how to fight temptation, how to fight the good fight of faith. They need to learn in the context of a loving home of how do you deal with that friend that's not being that nice? How do you go through life as a Christian knowing that the world is not a big fan of Christians? Who's going to teach them that? The public schools, it's not going to happen, folks. Is it going to be uh, your coach? It's not. This has to happen in the home. Parents need to teach by modeling. They need to be examples and providing opportunities for their children to grow. And so, further, Paul says that parents should be the primary teachers in the ways of the Lord. This is not teaching them uh, the disciplines, but actively being in their lives, helping them th think through biblically, how do you react in this sort of way? How do you grow to be a, a boy or a girl that loves Jesus in spite of the harsh realities of life? They need to approach situations biblically and explain biblical principles and how to navigate life. It means getting into the scriptures together and... Um, one day, again, these kids are going to be off into a world where they're going to be the minority. Who's going to do that? Again, the public schools? I'm not down on public schools here. I think public schools are great, but they're not going to teach us the ways of the Lord. It's not going to be a coach. It has to be their parents. Fathers bear the ultimate responsibility, but together they are to strive together toward knowing and loving the truth in Jesus. So dads, it starts with us. And I don't know about you, if you were here last week too, but these last couple weeks in preparing these messages have been absolutely brutal for me. 
Because I recognize full well that I am not anywhere near where I want to be or even need to be as a dad and a husband. I have a lot of work to do. But guys, we're responsible for our families. We're responsible for our wives. We're responsible for our kids' joy in the Lord. So what needs to change? That's a sobering question. My prayer is that God would radically reinvigorate our understanding of the the practice of biblical manhood as we seek to make our families and our church what Jesus wants it to be. You know, life would be a whole lot easier for me if I would not have decided at 16 years old that math wasn't important. But that's just math. What about the gospel? Where would we be right now if when we became Christians, um, we had taken the time and done the work to realize that the gospel invades every aspect of our lives? What if we start right now? There's always a new time to start. What would we look like five years from now? What would our marriages look like 10 years from now? What would our families look like 15, 20 years down the road? Our text helped us walk through two of the most basic ways that we can let the gospel into our lives by being children and potentially as parents. Last week, we looked at marriage. Next week, we're going to look at employment Now is the time to start taking seriously the gospel's claim on our entire lives. Friends, let's pray and work with the help of the Holy Spirit to be the people that God is calling us to be, to have marriages that honor God, to be children who honor God by honoring our parents, to be parents who honor God by raising our children to know and love and honor God. Again, it's time to become who we already are in Christ But it's time also to get to work. Let's pray.